So good morning again, I'm Pastor Dan. Welcome to New Hope Chapel Sunday morning prayer and worship service. And of course, we are welcoming those who are watching online. It is a sheer pleasure to have face-to-face worship with all of you here. And I'm looking forward, we're all looking forward to meeting our brothers and sisters away from their living rooms and into the presence of the sanctuary and just really lift each other up in worship. And that time is very short. I, I, I have to believe that the Lord has it well in hand and uh, it's going to happen. We'll all get back together again and flourish as the Lord gives us license. Amen. Title of my sermon this morning is The Holiest Night. I mentioned it was a Christmas story, Christmas message. It's really the glory of Christmas. And my text is the letter of Paul to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I've got it displayed, yes, in the New King James. And I think once you read this text, you'll realize that it is a Christmas message. It is the why of Christmas. And the why of Christmas is the glory of Christmas. That's my message. As I usually do, I look to Psalm 1914 to have the Lord anoint my words, his thoughts, and I also want him to anoint your understanding of the words that he has given me. And so, Lord God, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. I want you to consider immediately Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. And I want you to listen what Paul says about Christmas. He writes, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, And coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? It's a different Christmas message. You know, a little boy came home from Sunday school and he was so excited after learning about the wise men who brought gifts to baby Jesus. He couldn't wait to tell his mother about what he had learned in Sunday school. And he said, you know, the first Christmas there wasn't a Santa back then. So these three guys riding camels brought the toys for Jesus. And Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer with his nose so bright, he wasn't there either. So they had to use this big spotlight in the sky to, to find their way around. You know, that little boy's version of the birth of Jesus reminds me that for many there is not a real understanding of what Christmas is really all about. Now all of us No, and we just sang this morning the beautiful Christmas hymn, O Holy Night. 
And this was a carol which was written by Adolphe Charles Adam, a French composer. You know, ironically, it was frowned by church authorities who had denounced it for being in poor taste and for the total absence of the spirit of religion. In the first stanza, the writer invites us to close our eyes and imagine the world before the birth of Jesus. It says, the world that lay in sin and error pining. You know, the word pining refers to the wasting away of the human spirit as it grieves and endures grief and pain. In other words, he paints a picture of the world of darkness without light and a world of despair without hope. But then come the next three words, till he appeared. When he appeared, everything changed. And that is exactly why Jesus came to change the world. At no time of the year are we more reminded of just how much he changed it than Christmas time. And Paul, unlike the gospel writers, never tells us the story of Christmas. But here in this tremendous passage, he tells us of the glory of Christmas. He tells us why the night in which Jesus was born was such a holy night. And so first, in your outline, consider that Christmas is the celebration of a son. Did you know that there was no recorded birth in Scripture after the birth of Jesus? Did you know that there was the, that the last genealogy or family tree listed in the Bible was that of the Lord Jesus? Why? Because the entire Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi pointed to the birth and the name of Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't give us any details about his birth. He left that to Matthew and Luke. And Matthew and Luke looked at the birth of Jesus historically. Paul looks at it theologically. In Matthew and Luke, you see the historical event, but Paul gives us the theological truth. And beginning in our text, verse 6, Paul takes us back behind the curtain of eternity. And he shows us what took place even before Jesus was born. Our text, verse 6, states, Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. The word, the Greek word for equal is the word isos. An isosceles triangle is a triangle with two equal sides. And the word isos means equal equal in size, equal in quality, equal in character, and equal in number. And so in every way, Jesus Christ was and is God. And even though he didn't cling to, the, to his equality with God, he claimed it. And those who heard him knew that he had claimed it. And John 5.18 tells us, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Because he's not, he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself, isos, equal with God. Again, Paul says in verse 6, Who being in the form of God. This word form is a word that refers to a Roman stamp. 
In Bible times, when you had an official government document, it was sealed with wax when the wax was still hot. And you would then press the ring bearing the emperor's insignia onto the document, and the impression in the wax would be the exact representation of the insignia on the ring. And what Paul is telling us is that Jesus is the exact representation of God. And that is exactly what Jesus was saying about himself when he was on earth. He said in John 10.10, I and my Father are one. He said again in John 14.9, He who has seen me has seen the Father. What Paul is telling us, that even though the Lord Jesus laid aside his glory and took on the form of a bondservant and came as a man, he never ceased to be God. And when Jesus became a man, there was no subtraction. He remained God in all of his fullness. When Jesus, there was a time when Jesus was God but not man. But there was never a time when Jesus was man when he was not God. Nor was there division. Jesus did not give up any of his godhood to make room for his manhood. He was not part human and part divine. He was not a mixture of God and man. His deity was not humanized and his humanity was not deified. Instead, he was fully God throughout his earthly life. And so what happened when Jesus became a man was not subtraction or division, but addition. He took upon himself human nature, which he had not previously possessed. And he added humanity to his deity. And from then on, he remained both God and man, two natures in one personality. I want you to understand this. If Jesus Christ was not God, then Christmas may as well be a fable because Jesus would be of no more use to me or you as Santa Claus. But Jesus is not a man among men. He's not first among equals. He's not the greatest among the great. Jesus Christ is God. You know, if the FBI could have taken his fingerprints back when he walked on earth, you would have had the fingerprints of God. Because he was God. But that raises a great question. Why did Jesus leave the glory of heaven for the grief of earth? Why would he take up the cloak of humanity along with his deity? You know, all that he had known for all of eternity was glory, honor, praise, and adoration. Why would he leave that? to come to a planet where he would be ridiculed, rejected, and crucified as a common criminal. Well, the reason he came was because he was the only one who could. He was the only one who could come and take away the sin of the world because everyone else already had the world's sin. And that is why we read in our text, verse 8, that Jesus Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. I don't believe that we will ever fully understand the sacrifice that Jesus had to make when he came to live among us and then die for us. 
And so secondly, in our outline, consider Christmas is the humiliation of a Savior. Now just how low could Jesus go? Well, listen to verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He left heaven and came to earth to live among us as a man, but not only to live among us, but to die for us. You see, Jesus was God for us. He came to planet earth as Emmanuel, God with us, because Jesus was going to be God for us. We know that we have a God who suffered. He didn't become a man just so that he could live. He became a man so he could die. He experienced this path of death and the wrath of hell so that we wouldn't have to. But listen, for whatever reason... God chose to make man as he is, limited, suffering, and subject to sorrows and death. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money, to the worst horrors of pain, of humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and he died in disgrace and he thought it all well worthwhile. You see, Jesus did not have to die. Oh, he had to die for us to be saved, but he didn't have to die. God is under no obligation to save anybody and Jesus is under no obligation to come to die for us that we might be saved. God didn't send Jesus, because he had to. He sent Jesus because he wanted to. You know, John 3.16, as we know, says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. And likewise, Jesus did not come because he had to. He came because he wanted to. Jesus did not die out of obligation. He died out of obedience. When the Father asked him to go, he said yes. And when the Father asked him to die, still... He said yes. But notice how he died. Paul speaks of his dying, verse 8, as even the death of the cross. He didn't die an ordinary death. He died the death of a common everyday criminal. The Lord Jesus experienced ultimate physical torture in the form of the cross. This Roman system of crucifixion had been fine-tuned to produce maximum pain. In fact, the word excruciating literally means out of the cross. That word had to be invented to fully codify and signify the horror of crucifixion. And crucifixion was not just a barbaric way of carrying out capital punishment. It was exquisitely designed to bring total humiliating shame upon the person being crucified. Crucifixion not only had the goal of killing the individual, but degrading him totally before he died. See, the condemned person was frequently flogged before he was crucified. 
And then he was forced to carry the crossbeam upon which he was going to die for an added insult to the injury. His clothes were parceled out to others so that he had to bear the humiliation of being naked in public. And once he was nailed to the cross, he was exhibited as powerless and was used for public entertainment. The victim was ridiculed. People could watch and would watch the humiliating bodily contortions and bodily excretions in public view. How many times were the bodies not even buried so the birds could come and eat the flesh? In other words... Crucifixion meant death with great dishonor, with public degradation, with total shame. And that is why Hebrews 2.2 states that Christ endured the cross, despising the shame. I think most of us have heard of that famous man called Dr. Death, Jack Kevorkian. Jack Kevorkian as you know, had an obscene obsession with death and seeing people die. And you know what he said about Jesus Christ? He said, do you think it's dignified to hang from wood with nails through your arms, hands, and feet? Had Jesus died in my van, it would have been more dignified. Well, what Dr. Death didn't understand is that Jesus did not come to die a dignified death. He came to die a glorified death. Listen, Jesus died an initial death as the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. He died an official death as God's selected substitute. He died a judicial death, a judgment death for others. He died a sacrificial death so that even his own, so that for the unjust that he might be saved. But he died a criminal death so that even his own heavenly father turned his back on him. And that was the ultimate humiliation. Third, consider in the outline that Christmas is the exaltation of a sovereign. Now, quite frankly, the celebration of his birth would have turned to mourning, and the commemoration of his death would be just a bad memory, were it not for exaltation. You see, an ordinary baby is no cause for for heavenly celebration. A dead Savior is not worth commemoration. But a risen Lord calls for exaltation and coronation. So Paul gives us the climax to this great passage when he says in our text, verse 9, Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Read verse 9 carefully. It is not the name Jesus that is above every name. If you had been living in the days of Jesus, there were Many little boys running around with the name Jesus. For our God, Jesus is the name of humiliation. Lord is the name of exaltation. Whoever is Lord is supreme over all. You see, Jesus was born as a man so that he could relate to us. 
He died as a Savior so he could redeem us, but he was raised the Lord that he might rule the universe and us. And I've got news for this world. When the Lord Jesus comes back, he's not coming to take sides. He's coming to take over. And that's why when we preach Jesus, we should, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, preach Christ Jesus, the Lord. And if you're going to be saved, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, you must confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And Christmas reminds us that we are going to accept his lordship. Our text, verse 10, states, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. The name Jesus here refers to the Lord, the exalted one. Now to bow the knee is a sign of surrender. It is an act of humility and deference. It is something you do when you're going to worship someone and pay total homage to the person so honored. And Paul makes it plain that every knee will bow, whether by choice or by force, every knee above us in heaven, whether it be angels or men, is going to bow. Every knee around us on earth, whether believer or unbeliever, are going to bow. And every knee under us, the devil and his demons, are going to bow. We're also going to acknowledge his lordship. Our text, verse 11, states... And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word confess, as you know, means to agree with and to openly accept and proclaim. Every pagan tongue, every atheistic tongue, every Buddhist tongue, every Muslim tongue, every humanist tongue, every demonic tongue, and every angelic tongue, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then finally, we're going to acclaim his lordship. Paul goes on to say in verse 11, it will all be done to the glory of God the Father. The purpose of this universe, the purpose of all of history, the purpose of your life and mine is to bring glory to God the Father. And the way glory ultimately is going to be brought to God is when we acclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, one day all creation shall bow to our Lord. Even now the angels state his name and adore it. And may we, when he comes again, may we stand united singing his praises. There is an old hymn that goes, Jesus, Jesus, Savior adored, of all men and angels, forever the Lord. Over two centuries ago, a wealthy landowner by the name of Sir Roger Bolter, true story, visited the traveling fair at Colchester, England. And as he went around the stalls and the sideshows, he suddenly heard the market square clock begin to chime. Well, like a child, he began to count. But he couldn't believe his ears because the clock chimed 13 times. Well, he thought he had miscounted until a small, dark fellow standing next to him turned and said, that clock just struck 13 times. Well, that night, Sir Roger 
recorded that instant in his diary. Two months later, Sir Roger woke up and sensed a compelling inward voice that said, go to York. And although he was a deeply committed Christian, he wasn't a man given to listening to voices like that. But the next day, he saddled his horse and set off to York. As he arrived, he saw a large crowd gathered outside the courthouse. And when he heard that it was the last day of a murder trial, he entered the courthouse and sat in the public gallery from where he was able to hear the judge pronounce the man on trial guilty. When the accused man was asked if he had anything to say, he said, Your Honor, I'm innocent. I was more than a hundred miles from the crime on the day it took place. I was in Colchester. And the judge said, Do you have any proof? He said with a downcast look, Your Honor, another man and myself heard a clock strike 13 times. And if I can only find him, he could vouch for my innocence. Well, immediately, Roger Bolter stood up and said, Your Honor, may I approach the bench? And then explained who he was and then showed the judge's diary, which he always carried with him. And that man was set free on the basis of Roger Bolter's testimony. And as Roger Bolter and this man walked out of the courtroom, that man turned to his benefactor, threw his arms around him, and with tears coming down his cheeks, he said, Sir, you are the only man in all the world who could have saved me. Well, Christmas, Christmas night was a holy night because on that night the only man in all of the universe who could save us, Jesus Christ, the Lord, was born. And when you crown him as Lord of your life, that one holy night is going to mean that every day will be holy for you. Amen? Service is over. But continue to celebrate the season because it, it, of course, is going to include the coming new year. But between now and January, be in prayer that the coming year starts, if you haven't done so already, starts you're committed to submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because here we worship the one true God. But remember, as you glorify God, it will be as a result of your acclaiming and confirming that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Stay healthy. We will see you next week. God bless you.